Happy Friday, good people. Happy Friday. Welcome to Love, Babs, Love Talk. I'm Babs Rolls-Ivy. Yay! We made it through the week. I, I don't know. I've, every, every day feels like Friday to me as far as I'm concerned. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do stuff every day, so I just don't wait for the freaking weekend. <laughs> but it is nice to have the weekend. It is. And I think this, this weekend is the um, Yale Howard game, the HBCU. Um, plays uh, the Ivy League. So I think that's happening Saturday, which I think is going to rain all day, but don't stop no football. So I think I'm going to roll by Bloom today for the um, pre-football mixer. So I think I might do that. And then uh, I've got um, law school prep tomorrow. And we start working, we start, uh, we start our first conversation about the LSAT. <laughs> okay. And then Sunday, um, I don't think I have any plans for Sunday. Uh, my, my, my goal was to do some things around the house this weekend, because it'll be a rainy Saturday. Uh, and my girlfriends are going up to uh, Brooklyn, to the Brooklyn Book Festival. So I'm, de- I'm going to decline that trip, uh, but they're going up on Saturday. I mean, Sunday, they're going Sunday for the day. Uh, Cause you know, Ife is getting geared up for Elm City Lit Fest. And you know, you got to go check out other, other book festivals, see what's happening. So, so they're going to do that uh, Sunday. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have any plans on sa- I mean, I have plans on Saturday, but the rain might preempt them. That's my point, because I was going to run up to New Britain and check out um, 30 Americans and the block party and the whole thing, because uh, I ran into uh, Nico Whedon, and, you know, she is the uh, the uh, curator, you know, she was the lead curator helping them curate that and this conversation. So so we'll see what 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 I get into. <laughs> We'll we'll see what I what we get into. I don't I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Uh so so we'll see what happens. It's the weekend and I like to keep the weekends wide open. I mean last weekend was gala 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 back 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 back. Gala 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 gala. So you know we'll we'll see how this all goes. Uh uh, but for now, <laughs> right now, uh, I've got a I've got a lunch with uh, with uh, my co-chair at the Long War. You know, we we uh, um, Jackie Carl and I co-chair um, external relations. So um, we're gonna have lunch today and just catch up a little bit, talk about what we're doing, what we see. Uh, moving forward, that kind of thing. And we're going to uh, Il Gabiano. I've not been there yet. You know, I, I tend to shy away from Italian restaurants because it's challenging for me um, because I have a milk protein allergy and cheese is a milk protein. Uh, but I want to see the space because I heard so much about it. And, you know, every good restaurant worth its salt has a damn salad. <laughs> 
<laughs> and if I must have pasta, I know there's some marinara sauce floating around somewhere that don't have no Parmesan or, or, or any cheese in it. Gotta be. <laughs> so, so I'll be all right. Even if I just have a salad, I don't care. A salad and a glass of wine and some bread dipped in olive oil. That's, that's it. I could do that. That's not going to be hard. So yeah, and then um, and then later this evening I meet up with my um, my um, my law school coach. Um, so we'll see how this all goes. It's the day, and then I have a whole whole time, whole bunch of time in between, which is fine because I've got some things I need to catch up. So anyway, so so today let me. I I haven't gotten any news on Lee Stump. I've not heard anything. I'm sure he has heard by now that I have been ranting ab about his behavior um, since the gala. I've I've not seen any emails come past my 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 desk, so it, he might be quiet or he might be on vacation, or somebody might have said Babs is gunning for you. <laughs> no, I don't mean gunning. Let me not say that. Babs is looking for you. <laughs> Babs is looking for you because I, you're just out of line and out of order. And I just want to get you gathered. That's all, Lee Stump. I just want to get you gathered because I just feel like you are out of order and you need somebody to get you right. And I, I think I'm the person to get you right, me and a couple of other people, because your behavior is just outrageous in these art streets. And, uh, and, and everybody is sick of it, right? Everybody's like, oh, we're so sick of it. We're so tired of this mess, these damn emails. And not just people at the Long Wharf Dip, just other people. They just had it. They just think, what is he? Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? I was like, I don't know him. I don't know them. I don't know them. I don't know why they're behaving this way. I, I mean, seriously. <laughs> I'm like, golly, get yourself together. I, I think it's more racist than anything, you know. I think it's I think it's just racist in its tone and timber. But of course, you know, no one will ever cop to that because, you know, white supremacy. Oh no, I'm not, I, I don't see color. Oh no, this is not about race for me. <laughs> the minute they say it's not about race, it's about race. <laughs> let me just, white folks, let me just tell you something. The minute you preface anything thing pertaining to black people and the, your treatment of them and you start with i'm not racist though you're pretty much racist though i'm just putting it out there so i'm gonna move on from that because i've talked about it all week y'all know where i stand if i see him i'm gonna see him i'm gonna say something to him if i see him i'm gonna say something to him I'm like yo what are you doing why are you What's your beef? <laughs> what is your beef? That's it. And then I'm a, I was like, I'm like, listen, you, it's all right to have a beef. You're just going too far now. Now you're making people feel uncomfortable and, and not afraid, but uncomfortable. Because when you step to people like you, like you're going to put your hands on them or they don't know what to expect, that's, that's problematic for me, particularly if you're a man stepping to a woman. You're not, first of all, you're not going to get in my space. That's number one. And if you do get in my space, there's consequences to that. 
Just like if somebody jumps in your space, there's consequences to that. So anyway, I'm done with that. Let me move on to uh, to uh, other things. So I, I this morning, I saw a really nice Stefanowski ad. I, it, I think if he would have led with that ad rather than the other ridiculous two million other ads, he might have had a good shot at this. I like to add with his daughters and his wife and they're sitting on the couch and they look like regular normal people. He looks relaxed. He looks at ease. You know, and that's a good message. All the other ones didn't land right. This one landed right. It's unfortunate that it's now. I mean, he's not going to win. You're not winning, but good, good, good run. Good run. So, you know, good run. I, I don't think Connecticut is going to elect a Republican governor anytime soon. Not while these, not while the 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 nationwide Republicans are so out of pocket and out of control and just out of sense. <laughs> Republican Party, y'all need to go on retreat. You know, at your next convention, don't don't just just go inward and work on being better humans. That's what I would invite y'all to do. I would just, I know it's not in your nature. I know it's a hard reach. There might be a bridge too far, but try to be better people. If you can't, reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place. If you can. I, I don't think you can, though. <laughs> not, not as long as y'all have Donald Trump and all the crazies running the party. Y'all, I don't know. I, I feel for you. I feel for you. I mean, I do, because the level of crazy is just too much. I mean, we can't ever go back to having a fool like Donald Trump in the office again. We just can't. I, I don't think people good conscience could allow that. So, you know, I, I, I'm going to say that's a, I'm not going to call it an aberration that he was president, because I do think um, people just, was stunned by having Barack Obama as such a good president and a well-representing president. Um, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how people could go from sugar to ish. <laughs> so, so it just gives me, uh, it gives me pause. It gives me pause. I don't think we'll ever see that again. I think I think that's a one-off, um, but it is a lingering, long-lasting one-off. And uh, I, I don't even, I don't even, uh, I don't even, I don't even want, I, I don't think we could, uh, I don't think we could go back to, uh, to that. And particularly, I'm with you, Paul, not in Connecticut. We, we don't like that kind of stuff. Um, and don't get me wrong. White supremacy is ever overarching over everything. I, I have no illusions about that. And if I did, I, I'm quickly over it. Um, not, when I, not when I'm 
you know, I'm in this race and law class and learning about, you know, reading the book, The Color of Law, and just reading about how, you know, um, the U.S. government was so much a part of de jure segregation. Uh, it's just stunning to me. And, you know, it's one of these things, you know, you know, you know, you knew, but when you get into the weeds of it and you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so we were in class, we were in class last night and uh, we were talking about a particular town in uh, um, when they were talking about um, the GI Bill, who benefited from the GI Bill. And it was overwhelmingly white people. So they were talking about one particular state. Um, and I, I want to say it was either Ohio or Kentucky. And they had, um, I don't know, something like 5,000 folks benefit from the GI Bill. And, um, and somebody was in debate with somebody. And, uh, and, and he said, um, well, the GI Bill benefited Black people too. And so the other person was like, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I'll get them. And so when he got the other number, <laughs> it was it was out of the 5,000 people or some ridiculous number like that. It was like between 3,500 and 5,000 people, two, 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 two black people benefited from the GI Bill. I think it was either it was in Missouri, Ohio, or Kentucky. I have to go back and look at my notes. Two. And, uh, and, and the way that, you know, reading about how, how they broke up black communities by putting highways through them. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it was mostly poor communities, poor neighborhoods, you know, ones that were predominantly black and had poor white people in them. And so what they would do is they would just, they would just condemn places where black people live, make them get out, run a run, run, run highways through them or freeways or throughways. And that's their way of dealing with slums. Now, what people don't get about slums is they were already built to be slums. They were never nice properties. They were never built as nice properties. They were always built as substandard housing for poor people, i.e. Black people. So let's start there. And then it was never enough housing, substandard housing. It was never enough. They deliberately didn't build enough so that they could contain and overrun Black people and put them all together, almost like a caged animal zoo kind of thing. It was deliberate all across this country. It was deliberate. Oh man, this was, last night was a hard class because it was about um, state-sanctioned violence. I'm not gonna go into it, I'll save it for next week, but state-sanctioned violence and, and how, which is, which is, which is not very different from what we have now, when we allow police officers to kill with impunity and without uh, nobody checking them and without 
regard to protocols and whatever the training is. You could just kill people. They've been doing it. They've been doing it for 400 years. So, uh, so yesterday was a tough class and uh, I set out for most of it. Like it's online, but I didn't get into groups because I just didn't feel like getting in groups with white people talking about uh, violence. I just didn't feel like it. I just wasn't in the mood for it. So I didn't do it. Um, so I joined the class when we gathered back out of breakout groups because um, that just, my spirit just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And that's why, this is why this is so, this is why when I talk to people about politics and they don't know what the hell they are talking about, they don't know the history of this country. They don't know how black people fought, died, and was killed on a, on a promise. That's why I don't, I, I just don't have these conversations with people who, who are not well-read. I, and I and I and I know that's an elitist thing. I don't I don't care. I have earned the right to say and be and do whatever the hell I want. I don't I don't owe anybody any conversation. And let me tell you something. If I think you're stupid, I'm gonna say you're stupid. I, I don't have to be polite. I don't have to be. I don't have to be any of that. If I think you're off off point, I'm gonna tell you you off point. Because most people come to stuff with their feelings. And if you read in some ridiculous off the cuff mess, I'm gonna call you on it. That's just, that's just, I don't care who you are. You know, I, I just don't, I just don't hold fast to that provocative or what seemingly passes for provocative talk. It's not provocative talk. It is more um, ridiculous conversations that people are willing to have around misinformation. That's, that's, that's the part that really gets on my nerves is that people are willing to believe just any old thing. Just, I'm thinking to myself, you let this con man stand up across this country and just outright lie. <laughs> just lie on top of lie, on top of lie, on top of lie. And nobody seems to want to question that. Oh, he's talking the way I talk. He's talking about things that, oh, oh. and when so-and-so, Mm-mm. history is not going to be good to the Trumps. They're already not good to them. And, and everybody that followed and everybody that was down, history is not going to be kind to them. And every time you hear something about them with voter fraud, it's always them. <laughs> it's always them. It's always them caught up in voter fraud. <laughs> I think y'all want to start whole, whole committees and organizations on voter fraud. And it's y'all committing voter fraud at every turn. I just don't understand it. <sighs> you can't tell me you would prefer a Donald Trump over a, over a Joe Biden. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Even if Joe Biden on a stuttering day, it's better than Donald Trump on any day. <laughs> that guy's a clown. He is such a clown. Clown. He's just a clown. Everybody that supports it is a clown. I just can't stand it. But, you know, listen, I have a different take on this because I don't see this. First of all, I don't allow, I don't align myself with the white gaze. So I don't, I don't, I don't really care what white people think about anything too much. Um, I, I tend to, 
to sort of take all of that with a grain of salt. That's number one. Number two, there are black white folks out there who are abolitionists, who were abolitionists, who were about making wrongs right. I, I'm I'm with that. I'm for that. You know, I am. So, but my ire at the moment is, I see I see that doggone governor in Florida has got to sort of be grateful because you know he was one of those one of those states that didn't want to vote for, didn't want to support, you know, FEMA helping uh, places that were destroyed by tornadoes and hurricanes and all of that. Well, you know, karma is an interesting thing. If you live long enough, you, you see it come back at you, or back at you, because the law says whatever you put into the universe comes back at you in spades. And so Florida, and you know, if, if you had a governor that spent some time working on the things that were important to Florida, like infrastructure and all of that, and not banning books, because <laughs> a banned book ain't gonna help you right now. A banned book is the least of your worries in the, in the face of catastrophe. And I hope everybody in Florida understands that, that banned books, and, and anti-gay sentiments does not serve you in these moments of catastrophe. And I want people to think about this as they are digging through the mud, looking for their stuff, looking for their loved ones, looking that you need leadership that can support y'all in times of need, who thinks into the future about what if, how about, well, if not whatever tries to make it, get everybody on this page about we hate gays and you know we hate these books and critical race theory. Critical race theory ain't gonna help you rebuild. It's not, it's not. And if your governor spent some time working on climate change issues and putting things in place for Florida, maybe this could have been softened for you. I, and I'm gonna put that blame out there. I'm just saying, maybe if your governor spent some time really, you know, taking a deep dive on climate change and what that means to Florida and all its beautiful coast, coast and, and inlands and all the things on both sides. Maybe if you had a governor who thought about those kinds of things, maybe this could have been a, a lesser catastrophe. Maybe, maybe. Or maybe if you had a governor who thinks about this now, so that the next time y'all could be much more prepared. I don't, I don't know. I'm just gonna put it out there. Cause I, I, this is what I know, banned books ain't helping you right now. And, 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 and anti-gay sentiments is not helping you right now. It's just not, it's not serving you. It's not serving you, you know? So you got a governor who can't do his job. So now you got people suffering all across that and thank God Joe Biden is not Donald Trump. You know, thank God Joe Biden didn't show up throwing toilet paper and 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 bounty and 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 you know lying to you about what FEMA can can do. You know, thank God. Thank God we have a president who got some sense, who knows something about how to how to handle things. Thank God. 
Because if you'd have had Donald Trump as your as your leader in these moments, y'all, he would have came there and made all kinds of promises. Oh, oh, I'll, I'll come and help build. <laughs> give, give me a shovel. <laughs> no. So you got a you got a president who 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 is not petty and doesn't say, oh, oh, that's Florida, the way that they've been talking about me and slamming my name, and the way that governor has been talking about me, I'm not going to go help. He's not like that. You can say whatever you want about Biden. And he made a lot of mistakes, as most politicians made a lot of mistakes. But I'll tell you what he ain't going to do. He's not going to go down there and go na 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 boo boo He ain't doing that. Or ha 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 ha. He's not doing that. He's not doing that. He's like, listen, these people are hurting. What can we do as a country to help alleviate this burden? What can we do to lift people up out of this? How can we get Florida back on its feet faster? What can we do? What resources can we leverage? That's leadership. Not this foolishness of, oh, you know, we're going to ban these books and we hate the gays and we're going to, you know, um, go after transgender parents for child abuse and all this stupid stuff. All this stuff that, that has nothing to do with anybody's quality of life except the people that it affects. I'm just saying. So, so thank God Donald Trump is not the damn president right now. Because he was trash when he was president. And 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 he would be trash right now. So I'm just saying. So thank God that Joe Biden is on the is on the watch right now. Because this this Florida would be in trouble. <laughs> Florida would be in trouble. So, so my hearts and my hearts and prayers goes out to the people of Florida. You know, I, I hope, and 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 my hearts and prayers go goes out to South Carolina and North Carolina because the storm is moving that way. To all the people who are who who are in the Myrtle Beaches and in the and in the Low Country, you know, I have relatives in South Carolina. I have relatives in North Carolina. And uh, I'm going to check in with them in a group text in a little bit to see, you know, how, how's everybody's faring and feeling and how's everybody doing, you know. So um, it's, it's, this is a tough time. And climate change is real. And we got to get a handle on it. And I, I, don't know, I don't know what else is more convincing than these storms that we've had five storms that were storms that only happened a hundred years ago, five. So um, I, that just seems pretty, it seems like a lot to me that, you know, you're having all these storms that only happen every 100 years happening in succession. We don't have five. So that's gotta tell us we gotta do something. We gotta do something, we gotta be better. We've gotta make climate change a priority because I don't know where people think they're going. <laughs> I don't know where people think they're going. I just don't know. I don't know if there's another planet that'll take us. And, and if there is, guess who ain't going to be on it? So I would, I would bet we would do well to take care of this planet. Take care of this planet so that we can leave something for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and those that come after us. Because... If the, if the polar ice caps keep melting at the way that they're melting and the sea level rises, that's not going to bode well. 
listen, this climate change got me thinking about rethinking about where I want to live. I had I, my hopes had always been to have a house on the beach. Not anymore. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to visit the beach. <laughs> I'm not going to live at the beach. Because <laughs> I think in the next 20 years, I mean, and I think I only have about another 20, 25 years, maybe if I'm lucky. So I'm going to let that dream go. I'm going to find me a nice plot of lands inland up high <laughs> where I could I could drive to the beach <laughs> or fly to the beach or whatever it is. So when I go to the beach, it's a treat because I, 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 I don't, I don't want, I can't, can't do it. Can't do it. Now, now as I'm paying more attention to the folks who know something about climate change and what they're saying, and they're like, and they're people whispering to me like, Babs, you don't want to live at the beach. I was like, why not the beach? Nope, 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 nope. Not the way the climate is changing. People living on the beach is a dangerous thing. I was like, okay, all right, I'll rethink this. <laughs> so now, now we'll find me a forest. <laughs> I'm just gonna live in the forest, right on the edge. Not too much in the forest, on the edge of the forest. So I get some green air, so I get some, so I could, so I could go and tree bathe when I want to. You know what I mean? Have some land, maybe a little farm. So I can have a little garden and flowers, that kind of thing, that kind of thing. You know, that's that's what I want. I, I, I had thought Santa Barbara, but California on that coast is problematic. And then I thought maybe Washington State, Oregon, all those places have beautiful coastlines, beautiful access to water. So I was like, mm, maybe, maybe that's a thought. That's a thought, you know. Uh, you gotta you gotta deal with white folks who might not be welcoming. I'm just saying. So I gotta think about that. You know, maybe if you go visit enough to get used to seeing you, they won't bother you. Unlikely, but that's my thinking. So that's that's all I'm gonna say. That is all I'm gonna say. Ugh, too much, too much in the world. And I I I I don't understand how Russia thinks that they could. Roll on a country, write some papers through their parliament, whatever it's called, to annex that part of the country that they think they're taking over. And then if those folks whose land that it actually belongs to fights for it, then you will consider that an act of war. I, I don't even think they do that in the hood. <laughs> I've never seen that kind of, I've never seen that kind of foolishness in all my days. How do you do that? Well, you do it because the world is so worried about creating World War III. Uh, you know, that they everybody's trying to move with some diplomacy. You know what, Ife, Rwanda might be where we go because they got some water. They got like some beautiful lakes and rivers and stuff. So if I want some water, we can live by the water that way. But the beach is a, is a no now. <laughs> Can't do it. Mm -mm. I don't want to build nothing on the side of a hill or up above water. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. So yeah, Rwanda is inland. I'm thinking that. And and Rwanda just won the won an award for being the cleanest country in the world. Do you know how you know how major that is? One of the cleanest countries in the whole wide world. I'm here for it. 
I have a thing about trash. <laughs> I just can't, I can't see trash loosely flying anywhere. If I see trash in your town or your city, I just think ill of you. I just do. I was like, why is there so much trash? And 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 the, and a lot of it too is because there's no trash receptacles around. So that's one thing, you know. That's a real, that's a real thing, you know. That's a real thing. So, so I'll back up off that a little bit, because uh, every time I walk outside my door, I have to pick up trash because there's so much trash in my neighborhood. And I was like, gosh. <sighs> but I think what happens is. When they pick up the trash, it blows out, blows down the street. But I think people have to think about where they live. You know, my my brother Robert will tell you this. My sister will tell you this. You know, we grew up, we we were growing up in Church Street South. Everybody kept their space clean. You know, people would be out there sweeping down their steps, sweeping in front of their house. This would go on all the time. So it was always neat. There was never, you, you, you would never walk by, see, garbage strolled all over the place and and if you saw garbage spilling out of the garbage dump somebody would call management and say this is unacceptable and then they would do something about it oftentimes they'd put another trash thing you know one of those big trash things that the truck has to pick up they'll put a second one out there i've seen it in my lifetime so i know you know so i i grew up living in in places where you just took care of the space around you even if you didn't own it my, my mother didn't own, my people didn't own where we lived in Church Street South. Uh, but everybody in our neighborhood, everybody in the neighborhood just understood that this is where we live. And so we, we wanted to be picked up. And, 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 and the mothers in the neighborhood would be quick to tell you, go pick that up. <laughs> they would just talk to you. They would just tell you. You wasn't their kid. They were just like, oh, go pick that up. <laughs> and you would just do it. I, I don't know when this era of disrespect ushered in, but I didn't grow up with that level of dis. If Miss Jones said, go pick that up, you just go pick it up. Or Miss Green or Miss Williams or Miss White or whoever it was, if they said, uh, go get a broom, pick that up, you would just do it. There was no back talk. There was no stop. There was not. You would just do it because the level of respect that was instilled in you, you just did what grown people told you to do. Now you say that to a kid, woo! Although not the kids that walk down my street, because you know I've 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 asked them to do things and they've done it without you know giving me drama, you know. But there are some kids that will who are nasty like that and don't got no home training. That's those are the kids we we need to get our arms around. The ones that don't got no home training, you know. Those are the ones. And you know kids who don't got no home training. And they don't have any home training because home is chaotic. You know, that's the other part, too. Like uh, somebody, I think my neighbor was like, these kids was walking down the street and they was cussing and using language or whatever. And she's like, oh, my God, these kids today in this language. I was like, they're just communicating with each other. And, and then they're using the language that is used in wherever they are from, in their house or wherever they are. You know, they're using that language, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't get so mad at kids anymore about language because everybody figures out a way to communicate, which is in their, which is in their comfort zone. And too often, too often we've used that as a measuring stick to deny people access to things by, by way, by the way they have command of language. And that's another, that's another, that's another 
white supremacy tool, right? That's another white supremacy tool when when you when you condemn people for the way they talk. I I know because I used to be one of those people who'd be like, oh my god, why are you talking like that? Before I realized, I'm just doing white supremacy work by saying that. That's that's really what I'm doing. So if I hear, and I don't want to, I don't care if white people don't like the way that some black people talk. I don't care. I, that's neither here nor there. You understand what they're saying. You understand. And the fact that if you if you care that desperately about how people communicate, then you put some money in the school system at the levels that you would do any other school. But so until you are, until you can imagine that, shut up, and 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 respect the fact that people communicate to the best of their ability with the tools that they have. It's fine. Everyone doesn't have every. Everyone doesn't have to. We we spend too much time saying the way that white folks talk is the way that everyone should speak. No, that's just white supremacy. And I'm not, I don't care. I can understand just about anybody anywhere, hands down. I don't need people to speak another kind of way. I don't need people to, I need people to be able to have the confidence to say whatever they want to say in the, in the natural way that they want to say it. And, and we need to stop using the tools of white supremacy to beat people up about that. You know, because, you know, formal education is not the end all be all to anything. It is not, you know, it is not. And we, we got to stop hammering that point. Yes, we want our kids to go to school. Yes, of course, we want them to get a fine education. Of course, we want them to achieve. We want them to go to college. We want them to do all the things. We want them to do all the things. But that does not mean that all the kids would do all the things in that order, in that way, in that, in that space. So we have to have room for that. So, so yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm spending these days in my life figuring out what tools of white supremacy that I'm using and then, and then to just disband them. And that's real for me to, to do away. That includes my thinking, it includes my attitude, it includes a lot of things. So when I see sisters out there doing what they want to do, being ratchet, let them be ratchet. I don't got no judgment about that no more. What, what, what is the judgment? Respectability? What is respectability? That's white folks' mess. That's white folks res- trying to control people. Oh, you got to act like this. You got, in order to be successful, you must be this. And then we run around trying to emulate that foolishness to our detriment. Nope, I'm done. Nope. White folks... White, white and white adjacent is not the standard of anything. Black is luxury. That's it. And all, its, all, all of its nuances and complications, black is luxury. And, and, and when, when, they, when white folks call things ghetto, then they, they, as soon as they say ghetto, you know they're trying to find a way to sell it on the open market to sell it on an open market. What becomes ghetto for us and disdainful it becomes money makers for them. And that's, that, that's gotta stop. That's why I gave up, I stopped carrying my, my fancy expensive bags, my coach bags, my Dooney and Burke bags, my other bag, all the bags, I stopped carrying them because that can't be the standard. That's not the standard for me anymore. It's not, I don't, I don't see that as success. So I, 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 I put that stuff down and, and I, I figure out what I, what I want success and luxury to be. And black is luxury. 
So that's it. You know, I, it's just small things like that that I, it just makes me think, no, I don't, I don't want to carry their bag. <laughs> I don't care. I don't want I don't want to wear their shoes. I don't, you know, unless, unless they're really, really nice. But other than that, I mean, it's just a thought. It's just a thought. I can't do that in everything in my life. We know that. We know that. But where I can make a difference, I'm going to make a difference. And language is one of them. And, and how I'm thinking about people is another one. So that when I see our kids out there, I don't look at them like, God, I wish they would just pull their pants up. Nope. Nope. Are they healthy? Are they well? What are they doing? How are they feeling? That's all I want to know. I don't care about what they're wearing. Because that's, that's, that's respectability politics. If they look better, then somehow or other nothing won't hurt them. Martin Luther King was killed in the suit. What? What? Mecca Evers was killed in the suit. What? Malcolm X was killed in the suit. What? That clothes is not going to stop white supremacy from killing you. It's just not. You know. You know. So if these kids want to wear tattoos. They want to wear their hair natural. They want to. They want to do all the things. I'm here for it. Expression. Express yourself. Be who you are. Push back against the power. That's what you do. I'm here for it. You know. I am. I really am. I used to be one of those people too. Oh my God, look a little better. Pull your pants up, do that. And I still tell my sons to pull their pants up because I'm never going to give that part up a little bit. But but as far as how they want to wear their hair, dreadlocks or not locks, nappy or not nappy, up on their head, I don't care. As long as they're healthy, they're reading good stuff, got something on their mind, they got loving people in their lives. That for me is, you know, the most important thing. So I'm not I'm not here for I'm not here for the respectability politics anymore. You know, policing people's bodies and policing people's clothing and outfits and you know because somebody feels uncomfortable because some black woman is showing her butt. So what? Y'all had a whole black woman on display. You know, the Venus hot and tot was on display all over Europe. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and she didn't make not one dime from that exploitation. Not one dime. So these sisters want to be naked. Let them be naked. These sisters want to gyrate and twerk. What? <laughs> I'm here for it. Do your thing. Be, be authentically yourselves, sisters and brothers. Be authentically yourselves. And whatever black is for you, you make you define it. There's no one definition. Black is luxury. Define it however way you want. That's all I'm gonna say. Black is luxury, and 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 we've got to, as people, um, don't use the tools of white supremacy against ourselves. Don't use the tools of white supremacy against us. And I'm talking to black people, because it's ingrained in us too. It is, and we have to do the work of undoing those those harmful tools against ourselves. So I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm never sitting in another meeting with, with, with doing race work with white people. I'm not doing it. I'm not, do, I'm not going to any workshops with white folks doing race, race work or, or whatever that work is, they call it um, um, equity and inclusion. I'm not doing that with white people. I'm just one black person. Y'all wanna do it, you do it. I'm not doing it. I don't give a damn if I have to get off every board because they were like, it's required. Well, then I'm off. 
because I'm not doing that work. You know who needs to do that work? White people need to do that work. Because we over here trying to do racial trauma healing work over here. We try to do racial trauma healing. We trying to heal from white supremacy. We trying to heal. Y'all need to go and learn what white supremacy is and work on it from your end. Then that's when I do condone segregation. Because I need white folks to go do that work. And they don't need to do it with black people in the room. I need that. They don't need to do it with us in the room. Now, some of us could might lead that work if we need to, but I'm not doing that work with them. And I don't care. I don't make no apologies, nothing. I'm not, I'm not having race conversations. I'm not having, unless you are in abolition mode and 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 more than ally, I I'm not doing, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> We're not having this conversation. We're just not. Unless you have read something and done something and been about it, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm not having these conversations with just, just like cocktail conversations. Nope. <laughs> I'm not. It's not. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be at a gala or a cocktail party or or some event. You want to talk about race and include. I, I, I'm going I'm to be right quiet. And then I'm excuse myself and go get another drink because I'm not going to have that conversation. And, you know, more than one occasion, I've said to people, I don't have these kind of conversations with white people. I'm just one person. I'm not saying all black people, this black girl right here, I'm not doing it. So don't, don't try to put the whole race on me. Like, oh, black people don't want to have this. Con- no, 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 no. That's Rose Ivy doesn't want to have this conversation. <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation with white people. I damn sure don't have the time when I have it with black people who are not well read. But I give black people some grace. And I give white people grace about this. You want to know something? There's a whole bunch of libraries. We this city is chock full of beautiful libraries. There's a whole university over there. It's got a whole race slavery department. <laughs> and they offer stuff all the time. You go sit in and listen, learn, go do that before you start having these conversations about your feelings. You know, I don't, I don't want, I don't care to have it. So that's where I'm at. And, and, and this is not, I don't like white people. God knows that's not where I'm at. I like all people. I like all people. I like all people. You know, but I think there are some conversations that are left, left, left to be uh, uh, discussed amongst amongst folks um, separately, so they can get the work done. If you're serious about the work, I mean, if you're serious about, if you're serious about it. But if you just want cocktail conversation, I'm not the one to have it with. You know, so get in your groups and have those conversations. Work them out you know, do all the equity inclusion. And, you know, now I'm starting to sort of see organizations across this country abandon their equity inclusion commitments. You know, everybody had a damn letter uh, uh, for, uh, um, had had a letter and a statement and blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay, for George Floyd. Remember everybody had a statement? Everybody came out with their own statement of equity inclusion. Now we embracing BIPOC and centering voices of color. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, 
We'll see who's see still standing. You're still committed to it. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But I already, I already starting to see evidence of people abandoning all of that conversation because it's hard <laughs> and it requires commitment. And if you're not used to commitment to things that are hard, you're not going to keep it up. It's like a diet. If you're not used to it, you're ready to quit. You don't like it. Oh, it's hard. I'm tired of it. I'm a cheat. I want to eat what I want to eat. Okay. You're not committed to the, you're not committed to the effort. It's like, it's just like that. When you do that equity inclusion conversation and work, it's like a diet. You just got to stay at it for the rest of your damn life. But if you don't got no willpower, you don't got no dedication to it and you don't believe in it. Well, you're going to fall by the wayside. You're going to drop it and you go back to your old ways. And you're going to be like, oh, I couldn't do it. Okay. Couldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Which is it? But I don't have a judgment about that either. Because I know the ways of white folks. That's it. That's it. So, but the ones who are who who do this work, and I know quite a few people who who are who who are about this work, who do it because it is in them to do it, and they feel strongly about it. I have some good friends who are serious about this work some good white friends who are serious about it and they are working with black organizations and black folks to do this work because they feel called to it and it's a beautiful thing to see and they stand up and and declare it and claim it and i've got some good friends who are doing this work on the regular they live it and breathe it and and it and it and that's the hope that i need in the world to see that we might have a chance we might have a chance. So we're coming up on the hour. I got guests. I got the, the folks from the Ely Center. You know, the Ely Center, them women got together, bought that space. <laughs> now they're going to trick it out with some new art and all this other kind of stuff. But they're having a block party coming up. And um, they're ready to get it in. And so they're coming to talk about all the wonderful things that they got planned uh, for the Ely Center. And I'm, I'm happy to talk to them. You know, Helen Calder just got on that board over there, I believe. And, uh, and so she's excited. Um, and she told me in the porch that they have a whole basement down there. I was like, oh, really? So so they got to make some inroads. And uh, and I, 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 I love their story. So they got to come on and a couple of them going to come on and going to talk about what's going on at the Ely Center. And I, you know, we, uh, Brian Slater and I, we did jazz wear there before the pandemic. We did a Christmas. We did a, we did a, a, a a Giraldi, uh, Giraldi Christmas, and um, I think that I think Mr. Caddy, I can't think of his first name, Mr. Caddy, they they do the they do the Giraldi songbook for Christmas. They're they're known for this, and so they came and um, and did jazz wear there for us. It was great. So this is anyway, listening to WNHHLP one hundred three point five FM New Haven. My mom says I may have to get vaccinated for COVID. I got the vaccine. It didn't hurt, and I don't feel sick. Really? I don't like shots very much. It won't be bad. You should get it so you can come with me and um, on all the field trips. Cool. I'll ask my mom. I don't want to miss out. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective, and it improves people's lives. 
Thanks to this vaccine, there is less spread and fewer symptoms reported by those who get infected. Now everyone over the age of six months can get it, and no appointment is necessary. Find out more at nhvvax.com, nhvvax.com. Make summer safer. Protect your family from COVID-19. Anyone over nine months old can get vaxxed. No appointment necessary. Visit nhvvax.com. That's nhvvax.com for everything you need to know. I'm New Haven Health Director Marissa Bond. If you or your family have COVID-19 symptoms or think you were exposed to someone with COVID, quarantine, stay home, and get tested on day five if possible. If you have COVID, isolate, wear a mask, vaccinate, get boosted, and tested as needed. Those are the best ways to stop the spread of COVID. At this time, we are vaccinating everyone ages five and up. Stay safe, New Haven.
morning. Welcome to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted to have artists from the uh, John Slade Ely House hanging out with me this morning. Hello, Melissa Sutherland Moss and Howard L. Yassine. How are y'all? Good morning. Good morning. It is nice to have y'all with us today. Now, Howard, you were unmuted. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be here with everyone this morning. All right. So y'all got a big block party coming up uh, Sunday. You're closing off Trumbull Street, which I don't think Trumbull Street has ever been closed up before. <laughs> There's all kinds of cool, groovy stuff going on. You're going to be launching some, some art artist work um, during this, uh, this, this uh, block party. Um, y'all were just, uh, um, y'all just, uh, the, a group of, of, of women got together and bought the, acquired the John Slade Ely house back in May of this year. Um, and so, uh, this is a wonderful time for this particular site. So somebody jump in and tell me what this means. Y'all can all unmute yourselves. <laughs> So we can have a, a good conversation. Good morning, Howard. You can jump in too, Howard. Okay, go ahead and talk. <laughs> okay, I think we might be having some, uh, some difficulties. So the, the Black Party this Sunday is going to be amazing. There will be art. Hopefully you come out for the art, stay for the food. There will be collectives there. My collective is called SK Art Space, originating at Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven. Mm -hmm. And the eight of us are coming out. Our theme is home and transformation. So it was really exciting to transform that space into something that ignites memory. Um, and so that's what our theme is about. Super excited to be there this Sunday. Okay, so you come. You're coming. You're coming from. Uh, you're coming from Southern. Your your particular piece of work started at Southern. Were you a student at Southern? Yes, I actually graduated uh, from Southern in 2009 with a painting degree, and then from Southern, two of my partners, best friends, we created a group called SK Art Space, which formed into a collective. And so it started in New Haven and then we shifted to New York and now we're back in New Haven creating and just sharing that art with the community. Okay. And so Sue, what is your relationship to the Ely Center? Hi. Hi, everyone. Good to see you. Um, I am a partner with Howard L. Yassine and uh, we created something projects and uh, we decided, and we're really excited and thrilled about this big block party. It's the first of its kind. There's never been a block party on Trumbull Street before. It's gonna be closed off um, and open to the public. And um, we, uh, we are new, a newly developed collective, um, something projects. We, um, we got an economic development grant uh, to create a project, which is the first of its kind. It's a statewide uh, art treasure hunt, um, involves 15 cities and with artists where you can go, you can drive by, you could participate. There's usually something to, to give, something to take away from it. So it's a literal exchange and, and interaction. And we've decided to take our space at the Ely Center 
and model it off of the exchange. So we're giving a little bird's eye view, a little sneak peek of what people will get when they actually go around and tour all the sites which are available on our website at somethingprojects.net. So all right, do we get a, do we get a prize if we get to all of them in a particular Well, so there's kind of a little bit of a prize and you know our table is going to be set up outside and tons most of our artists are going to be joining us for 15 minute intervals and some of them will have hands-on activities. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love this. So Howard, tell me a little bit, tell me a little bit more about how this came about. Uh, well, Susan and I have been, um, friends for, for many years and, um, we've, we've both, um, done lots of curating and we have our own art practices and, and I actually have had a long history with the Ely Center. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about this, this, um, block party because it, it is the first time it's ever been done. And I think Melissa did mention that, but, um, the exchange came about, or, or before that, it was something projects. We applied for a grant from the state of Connecticut, which we received, and then we launched the exchange as our first project, and we have other projects um, in the works. Um, we're also doing something for um, open source um, um, for, for um, art space um, in Westville, but um, it came about because we felt that, um, particularly with this project, there was a need to um, present something outside of the box. Um, so the exchange is an opportunity for um, spectators, for the audience, the artist audience, to interact with art in more of an everyday way, so that you don't necessarily have to go to um, an interior space, what we euphemistically like to call the white box. Um, we, we created this project room so that it would be another opportunity to engage with the public. Um, so you get, as Susan said, you get a snippet, you get a glimpse. Um, really what we're calling them is clues um, to what you might interact with. And we have, we're, we're using QR codes um, to give you information um, about what you might glimpse or what you might see if you actually go to that site. But we're really trying to entice people to go to the sites. There are 15 different sites, not only to go to the sites, however, to think about art in a different way, to think about how they can interact with art as something that they engage with every day. If you're walking down the street and you happen to see something that looks like maybe it shouldn't be there, maybe it should be there. Maybe art should be part of our everyday experience in terms of an interaction. So that's oh, I really love what it. this project is about. This feels like the amazing race for artists. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we, we hope that it's the sort of, I mean, we certainly um, have plans to repeat the, the exchange project, um, but we, we hope that um, it will continue to grow. And right now it's 15 different cities, but we, we want it to be um, a statewide activity where artists um, of all different um, types, you know, whatever type of art you're making, there's space for you to participate in, in this type of project. All right. So have y'all have y'all run through all the spaces to see? I mean, I'm sure you have. Is it something you could do in a day or is it something you, you suggest people break up and do over a period of time? Break up into over a period yeah, of time. But it's <laughs> I, I would recommend that they do it during the day. Um, 
you know, because there's and why is that, Howard? <laughs> well, I mean, it's if you're because some sites are, for instance, on. I mean, if like if you're going to drive to Darien from New Haven, um, and you're not familiar with the area, you know, it's it's on someone's property. Um, so during the day, it's easier to see what what it is you're looking for. Are you trying um, to tell me not to get shot at? You mean, no, I'm not suggesting that. <laughs> It's really about being able to notice because it's subtle. So there's clues. Every artist gives you a set of clues, just like a treasure hunt. So you, in order to find the clues and to search out the clues, daylight is better just to be able to discover. Okay. I, I actually like this idea so much. I'm going to see if I can get some friends together and we're going to. We're going oh, to do it. It would be plot, wonderful. Plot our, our trip. Will there be a clue at the block party? There will be clues yes. at the block party, yes. and our again, our project room is full of clues. clues. Um, like one clue that comes to mind. I mean, it just looks like you don't really know what it is until you spend some time with with the the room. But there's one one clue that comes to mind is just a stack of twigs. So you have to figure out what that means. Oh boy, this right. is too. This is a, this there, is so there, intriguing. <laughs> are videos in the room so all the right. artists made a video and so they give you kind of the latitude and longitude of where to go and there are definitely clues that they give you on the video as well i love it so melissa talk to me about what does it mean to have to be a contemporary artist right now Ooh, what does it mean to be a contemporary artist right now and it's not lost on me that you're a woman of color so. Yeah, you know, it's a lot. I feel like that's such a loaded question for me. Of it's, course it is. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot, especially because right now I'm a first year grad student at MICA in Baltimore. And so being a Black woman, a Black contemporary artist right now is very difficult because of the conversations that are taking place, the dialogue, the knowledge share. The information that's being shared is a lot to take in and it's a lot to digest, but it's also a very exciting time to be alive and to be creating and to be capturing what's happening today in this present time. So I'm really excited to be contributing, to be a contributing artist to the narrative of today. Mm -hmm. So Howard, I'm going to ask you the same question. Is this an exciting time to be an artist and it's Absolutely. not lost to me that you are a man of color? Absolutely. And I should say, I currently have a solo show up at Real Artways in Hartford. Um, so I hope folks can, can get to Hartford to see that the show is on view until January 8. Um, and it's called Specific Matter. Um, but yes, it is a very exciting time to be an artist, an artist of color specifically. And I, I, Melissa and I do have a special connection. She's a student. I'm faculty at MICA in Baltimore. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I did not um, so, know that. <laughs> so this is a wonderful circle to, and, and I'm, I'm proud to, to participate in, in this round table. Um, but yes, I think art, art, art making is important, but I think as a person of color, it's particularly important and useful for us to, uh, to use our, our voices as, as artists, as our platform. Um, whatever approach we want to take, I think that there's no mon monumental or monolithic approach to art making. 
And I, it, it is important for anyone who's interested in making art to, to do so in a way that is truthful and honest and genuine and um, promotes um, our diversity and multiplicity and how we um, can navigate this, this, this world, this globe, and what mm. we can contribute um, to make the world um, not only a better place, but how we can represent who we are and and who we can be who you know we are as um, black people as people of color as queer people whatever we um, however we we see ourselves we have an opportunity in this moment to express that and um, invite anyone who wants to embrace their identities to participate. Mm. So what does it mean to to to, to have a, a Ely Center um, in New Haven? Because I, I don't know of any other contemporary galleries of well, this nature. The fact that they um, now own the building, I think, is a monumental accomplishment. Um, there are, you know, New Haven has a long history um, in terms of the arts. And I think the fact that the Ely Center has um, gone, has been around for many years, um, but has had um, difficulty um, trying to maintain their their space. And I think that the fact that they now own the building says so much about their tenacity and determination to represent the arts locally. And I think that this is an opportunity for um, people throughout the state and beyond to come out this weekend and experience what um, they're, they're able to, to present. Um, and we are all happy to participate in, in this moment. Um, I think it's the beginning of something new and something exciting. I, I love this idea. So so there's this big um, um, block party happening. And I grew up, and I think Helen Calder spoke to this too. She grew up too to say, grew, grew up in New York with, you know, uh, block parties was a, was a real thing. I grew up here in New Haven. Block parties was a big deal on the weekends, you know, where you would bring all kinds of community together, vendors, all kinds of people, bands, DJs, all kinds of folks coming together to sort of share and support. And I get the sense that this is going to have that vibe to it. What, what, yeah. what are your thoughts on this whole block party concept on a street that's never been shut down before? On a street that also leads to the highway. So it is monumental um, and, <laughs> and it'll be exciting for, you know, just people to come out. Normally, I remember block parties on Audubon. Um, but it's, I think that this is, it's going to be a showstopper um, in that you, you cannot ignore it. You have to walk, you, you know, it's the sort of thing that makes you want to stop and come and see what's going on and participate. Mm -hmm. And there are block parties um, sometimes on Orange Street down near Art Space as well. And I grew up with block parties. I mean, everyone would, all the families would, you know, make food and they bring in. I mean, this was, you know, part of my childhood, which was really endearing. And uh, so <clears throat> I think that uh, this is also 
going to be fun. And it's just fun. It's fun and exciting where the community discovers who, who they are, who we all are. So we all get a chance to gather in one space together and discover each other. And I just wanted to say one thing about being a contemporary artist. Um, I do want to say that I think this is an exciting time for others' voices to be heard. So I wanted to add to that conversation by saying that, you know, <clears throat> there's a long period of time where I think people of color have, you know, been shut out from the conversation. And it's, I'm really glad that they are being brought in to, and being honored and recognized in the art world the way they are. Women have fought for a long time and women of color also, we've been on the bottom for many, many years. And so now it's time, you know, it's time. This is a great time for especially artists of color. I wanted to just add that. No, thank you, Sue. I appreciate the, 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 the inclusion. So as contemporary artists um, and, and, and looking at the world, do you take inspiration from what is happening in the world or do you hear another source of inspiration separate or adjacent to like, what is going on in the world? I think one can't not take and you know take from the world. We're living in the world, and so it infiltrates the work that we do, whether consciously or unconsciously, it becomes part of who we are, and therefore becomes part of our voice. You know, but some artists like more, you know, more specifically, it's it's a desired um, commentary that many artists do choose to make. Um, <clears throat> my work has definitely embraced um, being a woman, being a woman. Um, it has also embraced the environment. So those things kind of seep into the work. I think it's hard to ignore certain things, even if the work might be, you know, kind of minimal or abstract. It comes mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. My colleagues. Uh, I'll let Melissa go. <laughs> Oh, I, I was going to say it's, it's really hard to not create based off of what is happening right now. And outside of the racial tension, just economically and the things that are happening in our day-to-day -day lives, I think I draw a lot of inspiration from what I go through daily, what I'm receiving via mass media or just from my peers. I think that creating from inspiration from the world is why it's really important to be an artist today in this contemporary world because you get to capture the reflections of what's happening today. And I, I would concur with, with what both Melissa and Susan have um, stated. Um, I mean, we as artists, we each work differently. We use different materials. We use different concepts. But I think that we're always inspired by what's happening in the world unless we simply live in our own silo. I don't think that any of us do. Um, some artists do, but I think for a contemporary artists, it is very important to be aware of um, of movements, of, of the politics, of ideologies that are not necessarily new. Um, some of them are more um, um, in the forefront um, in the current moment, but I, I always say that some of the things that we think of as contemporary have, have been there. 
They just have not been as present. And there have not been as many opportunities for people to recognize that this is a truth. This is a reality that's always been there. It's just been shadowed. And we live in a moment where our voices can amplify things that have been ignored or silenced. And we will not be silenced. Oh, I like that. Do you all spend much time thinking about who your audience is? Do, do um, you spend time I, thinking about who your audience is? Do you do you create work based on who you think might see this work? Or do you just create the work and whoever finds it, happy? <laughs> I think it's a combination for myself. I, I create the work that I want to make and I try to um, make it accessible to the people I think I would want to see it. Some people, I don't care if they see it or not, because I don't think that they would be interested. And I think that um, it's important to make work that's truthful, mostly. And so Sue, Melissa, Melissa, you as a new artist, not, I mean, not terribly new, but an artist that is emerging. How do you, how do you think about audience? How do you think about who sees your work? You know, I, I think that I'm now getting into the space of thinking about that now that I'm in grad school. But initially, I usually create for myself. I create what feels true to me. I create what I see. I create what is a reflection of my experiences. And I think as I dive a little bit deeper and I'm thinking about materials and how my work is perceived in a greater context, I'm thinking more about the people that I'm making my work for and who my work is speaking to. But I think right now, as I'm like in the process of creating, it's more so what I'm feeling from my heart and what feels true to me. So, so same question to you, Sue, because you are an artist, you are an established artist. You, 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 you get the calls, you know how to put the art out there, you know how to do all the things. Are you ever thinking about audience, are you ever thinking about who is seeing my work and what do I want them to see or take away from this? I do. It's really a good question. <clears throat> um, like Howard and like Melissa, it's a little bit of both for me. For me, first, it's about making the work because it's setting up a series of challenges for myself that I kind of work through. They're material challenges, they're conceptual challenges, they're emotional challenges. So I kind of go from that point first, but a lot of my work is interactive and I want it to be so that people can walk under it, walk through it. So for me, there is, a, there is really relevance to the point of who my audience might be. Um, a lot of my work is, you know, really invites kind of the act of touch, of feel, of interaction, and of play. So, and that's very intentional because I feel like when people have a chance to engage more than standing back from a piece, but really to walk through a piece or to enter a piece like physically, then they become in a sense committed to trying to understand what the piece might be about or how it affects them. Um, and sometimes by the act of color, I have really colorful work or play, you know, the interaction of, I use a lot of pom-poms and things like that in my work where there's movement. Um, it pulls people in to see the work and then gives them a chance to not only consider the work, but sometimes there's map keys and things like that, that really talk about maybe the more serious issues that people would ignore, but through the act of interaction and play, they're more willing to, to 
give the work a chance. Mm. Mm. So how do you all connect with other artists? And, and, and who are you liking out there in the art scene right now? Like who, who, who do you like? I see their work is hanging at such and such a gallery. I must go see it. Like who are you digging right now? Uh. For me, I'm just going to jump in. I'm gonna, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to say, <laughs> for me, it's mostly women artists that I'm really digging right now. Although, you know, there's tons of male artists that I like, but it's women and women of, you know, women of all kinds or women of all colors um, and women sculptors primarily. I am really excited by their work. I'm really driven by their work. I'm driven by what is happening with the exploration of materials and techniques right now. Um, people are really exploring just, you know, sometimes industrial materials in a new and different way, but that's really driving my work and it's really kind of reinforming my own work. I'll let my colleagues jump in. Well, I, I, you know, when I get that question, I'm always going back to one of my favorite contemporary artists who's actually based in New York, Leonardo Drew. Um, I, I love the way, and he's from Bridgeport, um, Connecticut originally, but I, I'm a materials person. And um, in my own work, I use the materials to evoke um, a sense of place and and how we as humans interact um, in a in a visceral way to uh, materials and and what those materials how those materials can evoke a sense of time and place and um, and in some ways even a sense of of spirituality um, that um, is monumental but sometimes not um, specific to um, just. A, a, a certain cultural experience. So I love his work because it's transcending in, in, in a number of ways. Um, but I'm also drawn to, um, you know, a, a lot of work that is performative and, um, you know, work that, that incorporates sound um, and just innovative ways of thinking about what art should and could be. Um, ways that get people to think about things that are happening around them. I'm a firm believer in everydayness and how art, art making and the art um, listening or the art experience is something that um, in some ways is learned. And by learned, I mean refined, but it's, it's an organic um, opportunity that we all have to interact with um, materials or, or just experiences and think about those in terms of, of what art can be. Um, art for me is um, a way of thinking about um, the world we navigate, on a daily basis, um, and what those um, those experiences or those materials we interact with um, can mean to our individual existence, and in, in helping us become the best human that we can be, and that could be, um, you know, walking down that that, can, that experience can can range from walking down Dixwell Avenue to um, a street in Eastern Connecticut. Um, I'm, I'm interested in those 
um, those differences. Um, and, and within that, I'm, for, for instance, um, just to sort of highlight um, where that way of thinking can go, I'm very interested in redlining and um, what redlining does to um, human beings psychologically, emotionally, economically. Um, you know, you asked about the contemporary moment. Well, that's something that's been here for so long and its roots are so deep. Um, but how do we um, have that conversation in a way that is enlightening and, and brings us forward as human beings? Um, those who, whatever side of that red line you, are on or have been on historically, I'm interested in bringing people forward, you know, looking to the future in ways that we highlight the history, but also um, have participatory interaction and conversations about um, moving forward together as human beings. Mm -hmm. Even the mm -hmm. conversation is art making. Mm -hmm. Melissa, you want to take a jump in at that? You know, I'll be honest and say my focus right now, I'm, I'm taking a class at MICA Curatorial Practice, and right now we are focusing on safe space. And so my mind right now is really on how to create safe spaces mentally um, and physically within the art community. So as I'm like going out and engaging with different artists and getting to learn them and know more about them. I'm thinking about accommodations and the things that make artists feel safe. Or even when we go to the block party, like I'm super excited to just have my antennas up to just think about how we're creating safe spaces for our community and the artists who are contributing into, contributing to that idea of creating spaces that feel safe and what does that mean? Are we creating policy? Are we accommodating? What languages are we using in the art community that makes each other feel safe? And so that's kind of sort of where my mind is right now. And um, there are artists that I am looking up to and like following like Ashanti Kendall, Lisa Brown, a lot of Black women contemporary artists at the moment. But I would say, first and foremost, I'm really diving into and doing research on how to create safe spaces within the art community. Mm. Well, I am so looking forward to this big Black party. First of all, it's never been done on Trumbull Street, so that alone makes me want to see it. I love that the Ely House has owners, <laughs> has these new owners who are expanding the vision of what the Ely Center was since 1964 and what it is right now in 2022. And, uh, and I, I think Hey Neighbor is going to be a blast. So it is Sunday, uh, 51 Trumbull Street from 2 to 5. And, uh, and there's, you know, parking is free on Sunday. So if you can find a little metered parking, that'd be good. And, uh, and walk in, that'd be great. So it was a pleasure to talk to y'all. Can uh, I mention one other thing? Yes, about? mention away. Oh, I just wanted to, in terms of parking, I also want to mention that um, we recommend parking for this event um, in the free public lots on Prospect and Sachem. Enter on Humphrey Street and Whitney Avenue. And then there's a lot, it's a Yale lot, 51 um, on Temple Street near, uh, oh, it's not a Yale lot, it's lot 51 on Temple Street, enter south of Grove Street. Mm -hmm. So, so you can, you can park 
Folks are very yeah. creative. They can find parking. That's a good little community right there. To, even if you park a ways, you could walk in. It's wonderful, walk, wonderful walking ways through that community. So uh, I look forward to seeing y'all on Sunday. Yes. I'm looking forward to getting my little, will it be a card so I can check off my, my where I go to <laughs> my amazing race for the art? I'm excited. Well, we do have notebooks at each site. <laughs> Um, so um, when you visit the site, you're able to to um, leave comment. a comment about your experience when you okay. visit the, the sites for um, the exchange. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you all in live in living color in person. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for being here. Howard, thank you. And Sue, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited for the thank Ely you. Center. Thank you. I will for see you all us. on Sunday. Yeah. Bye bye. Take care, Enjoy everyone. the weekend. Thank you, you so too. much. <laughs> All right. Harry, have a good vacation. I'll see you soon. Thank you all very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Have a safe, good, happy vacation, Harry. I, I, I think you're going to be in Milford. <laughs> I think you're going to be in Milford. <laughs> Oh my god, Harry has on a white shirt! Oh.